Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. What up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the Mass and All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco and Paul Mancano back with you after our travels through spring training down in sunny Florida. Paul, how are you readjusting to being back at home up here in Maryland? You know, it's not all that cold, so it's not it's not terrible, I got to say. Um, but uh, it sure would be nicer to be down in Florida. You know, our last couple of days at spring training was actually chilly in Sarasota. It was. And so it was actually an easy transition to come back up here because it was in the mid to low 50s. Um, in Sarasota, when our last couple of days, I kept telling people it was. People ask, "Oh, how was sunny in Florida?" And I was like, "It's actually kind of cold." The last couple of days we were there, yeah. considering. Yeah, I'm not. not um, well, it was cold because we were not prepared for it. That was the other. That's thing. yeah. That's why I tried to explain. I'm, yeah. like, I'm not like <laughs> yeah. comparing Florida to Maryland in the middle of March because obviously Maryland's way colder. But yeah. like, we prepared for sunnies and seventy every yeah. day. Like I had one sweatshirt and one pair of jeans. Everything else was shorts and t-shirts. Exactly. And we were out there freezing. Exactly. I had a, a sweater and a hoodie. Um, we will break down all of our outfits later on the pod. Um, this is an important conversation um, to have. And, uh, you know, yeah. a wardrobe is is always important for long trips, especially these two-week trips. You don't expect to have to bring that stuff, but right. uh, we needed it. Yeah, and um, it was good to be back, though. <laughs> Uh, I was. I, I don't want to talk more about my laundry business that I had to do. Um, you did have to do laundry midway you have through. To do laundry, and I didn't pack enough socks. I, I want to talk more about socks, this, yeah. so I had to give you my socks to yeah, wash. Yeah, again, which I washing shorts and t-shirts, and it was in the fifties all day. Yeah, um, our last two days at the spring training. Thanks but, for washing my socks, Bobby. Of course, anytime. Uh, my my pleasure. But we're back, uh, back north, back home to talk about baseball and watch these teams from afar. We're talking Nationals today. And I've, last time we talked, Paul, talking mm-hmm. Nats, obviously was the Bryce Harper news coming out, signing with that mega 13-year deal, yep. $130 million with the Phillies, which is a good transition to what we're talking about today because we're going to run through the NL East. Obviously, Harper goes from division rivals, and we're going to run through the rest of the NL East, um, the Phillies, Nats, yep. Nats, Braves, and Marlins. And look at what they added, what they lost over this offseason heading into the 2019 regular season, their projected win totals, and then give our own projections and predictions for how this division is going to shape out this season. I was kind of surprised when we tweeted out that podcast. Like, we we did it right after it broke, and we tweeted out that podcast that night, and people were, you know, reacting to it, and some people were, ah, Bryce, enemy number one, all that stuff, but then... The next day, we also tweeted out the podcast because it's still relevant 24 hours later. Right. And everybody was like, move on already. We're done with this. And it to me, that was kind of surprising because it was. I get it that it happened so – probably because it happened so late into February. Yeah. So people were already moving on. But it was kind of surprising how quickly Nats fans switched to, you know what, forget them. They, they had already, I guess, moved on in their own minds. But I still think the guy deserved his due. He still deserved – you know, to, to, we we had to talk about him, not just because of what he did with the Nats, but because now the Nats have to face him uh, right. 19 times a year for the next 13 years. I mean, regardless of where he went, we had to talk about exactly. it. Exactly. I, I think that's part of that is because he went to the Phillies. Had we talked about him going to the Dodgers or the Cubs, people would have been a little more understanding. Of exactly. Him. But, um, yeah, because he went to the Phillies, it was that much more of a deal, and, and people 
Yeah, people are frustrated. People are disappointed I get it, and yeah. angry in DC. And I get it too, but at the same time, you know, it's news is news is news. We got to yeah. talk about it and uh, you know, we can't underplay what he meant to this franchise and this city over the past 7 years. Bobby, what do you More. think what do you think about the fact that he didn't tweet or post anything on Instagram once he signed with the Phillies as a thank you to the Nats? See, I, at on a certain level it bothers me. Mhm. Um, as both a fan of the team and of him, and as a person who covers the team, is you always like players that you like covering. You always want to see them be class acts yeah. and, and show good faith, especially to organizations that show them good faith in return. Um, but, you know, I, I think in his mind, one, the whole signing, obviously the biggest sports contract in American sports history, for a single player, 13 years, $330 million, that whole whirlwind. I mean, that was his life changed yeah. over those couple of days. So, you know, he's not really focused on I, – I can see, you know, your mind. I barely remember to post on my Instagram about my <laughs> spring training trip. I was there – we were there for 14 days, and I didn't – I only just posted my Instagram uh, spring training post like two days after I got home. So, you know, you get caught up in it. Um and I also think that to a certain extent, you know, he posted that big farewell to D.C. at the end of the regular season. And I wouldn't be surprised back in in the back of his mind if that was enough for him. You know, he already said his goodbye. He doesn't need to revisit that. It's onward for him moving forward with his new team and his new city and his new fan base. He doesn't really need to look back and reflect. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what his thought process was. I don't need this big sappy goodbye. An acknowledgement maybe. But being like, hey, DC, thanks once again. Thanks for the love, but you know, I'm all right. for I'm on to, all in for Philly. That would have been totally fine for me. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't really bother me. I I, I kind of get that. You know, he's. Sh- I get the mindset of an athlete signing that contract. You just want to move forward. Exactly, and I did. Yeah, that remember that like nine piece Instagram thing that he posted. Right. I went back and I looked because I was like, ah, yeah. oh, that should. That's what be. I was looking for. He deleted everything but one picture because yeah. he had the same caption for each one, and I get it because aesthetically, from an aesthetic standpoint, Bobby, it just looks bad if everyone because then. Everyone is off just a little bit, and then Bryce's body would be kind of out of whack, yeah. you know, like on the actual Instagram feed. This stuff is important. This stuff is hugely important for him. Uh, no, but seriously, I mean, that's he, – he did – I feel like he did say goodbye. Yeah. And it just – because so much time has passed, and I think people – some people, I get it, you wanted an official goodbye once he said, officially made a goodbye, but – I think he pretty much said goodbye. And it, when he was on the field doing that interview with Dan Colco, tearing up – right. It felt like, in in retrospect, knowing that he was going to leave, I think that's that's enough. He did his little lap on his last game at Nats Park. Yeah. Obviously, that's where that picture of your, the Instagram post you're talking about, that's where that's from. And, yeah, I think in his mind, he already said his goodbye. And, obviously, that contract was a big whirlwind for him. And he wants to move forward. And, and right. now he's a Philly. And he's focused on the Phillies, yeah. you know. Um, you know, as a Philly fan, what would you have thought if he, like, the first thing he did as a Philly was post this long thing about the Nationals? You know? Right. Would you, wouldn't you rather, all right, you've been gone from them for yeah. months now, let's focus on me now. Right. I think Philly fans, I think they would have been okay with it just because they're still in shock and awe and yeah. still reveling in the fact that he signed with them. So I think they would have accepted that. Um, I think it meant way more to Nationals fans than it would have to Phillies fans right. if, if you know that had been posted. Yeah. But Philly fans adored the fact that you know he changed his Twitter handle to Bryce Harper three, yep. said feeling brotherly loved, all that stuff. Yeah, he keeps saying what Philly fam or family Philly, with a family. Page. Yeah, yeah, the hashtag. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I also scrolled through his Instagram, which he also changed to, uh, just to see if he... Because nowadays, Paul, athletes, when they change teams, uh, their big bit is now is deleting all of their posts from right. the old teams. Right. That would Especially be a lot to delete. Yeah. And just so you know, if okay. you haven't checked, Bryce Harper has all his Nat stuff still up there. Yep. Uh, he, that would be like two-thirds of his feed, I feel. I mean, that would be deleting like his the last seven, the last yeah. nine years, plus years of his life. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, no, all this Nat stuff is still on there. He he did not do that whole bit. He did delete that nine post thing to down to one. He minimized yeah. that, thankfully. Um, but yeah, so no, I think Bryce Harper is still very appreciative of his time in Washington. He, the Nats organization, Mike Rizzo, his teammates, his managers, the ownership. Exactly. Um, it holds a certain place in his heart forever, obviously, but now he's ready to move forward with the Phillies. One last thing to touch, I want to ask yeah. you, Paul, before we move on to the rest of the division and our predictions for the NL East. We did that uh, emergency podcast for the immediate reactions to Bryce Harper signing on February 28th, which would be now, I guess, Bryce Harper Day forever in mm-hmm. baseball. What would have happened if he signed on the 29th? Would we, ha- would we celebrate or, <laughs> or had that broken on, on, on a leap year? Would that... Would we always celebrate on the 28th or you know every what? four years we celebrate Bryce Hopper Day? Bobby, that is the age-old question. Anything Does anything that happens on February 29th actually, actually happen, happen, you know? If it only happens once every four years, does, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I plan to get married on February 29th so that I only have to celebrate my anniversary <laughs> once every four years. And that'd be super hard to forget. Exactly. I plan to have my kids on the 29th so that I can only give them a birthday present once every four years. You got to save money in the little ways, Bobby. Yeah. And you cut your costs by a fourth if you do stuff like this. Okay. So uh, this is. So you I'm thought just, about this. I'm giving people some penny-pinching advice. Okay. So, and now, does, if, he, if he would have signed <laughs> on, the 20, on the 29th, is, would he only get paid on the 29th? That's not right. How that works? Right? <laughs> like over, because that makes sense right. for the Phillies. Over thirteen years, we're yeah. only paying you three times. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's uh, you know what? I wouldn't you put it past. Pay, you only get your payday three times. I wouldn't put it past four, Matt Clentak to work something out over that the four way. Four years. Yeah. That's not how contracts work. Any who's a daisy. Let's move on uh, to the NL East. Um, it's it's gone from a almost worst to first situation here, Paul, where the NL East for a couple of years now has been one of the least competitive divisions in baseball with the Nats pretty much dominating since 2012. You know, the Braves and the Mets slipped in there a couple of years. The Phillies have been right on the edge for the past couple of years to, uh, in their rebuilding process to become competitive. The Marlins have always been bad. But now we're looking at the NL East being one of, if not the most competitive divisions in all of baseball. Maybe not top to bottom the best, but most competitive yeah. in the sense that there are possibly four teams that can compete for three open playoff spots. Yeah, it got good real quick. And it doesn't have, yeah, like we talked about, I think, on our last podcast, it doesn't have the top-end teams that, like, the AL East does, where you, you can almost pencil in the fact that, you know, the the um Red Sox and the Yankees are going to make the playoffs, and they might both win 100 games this right. year. I don't think there are going to be any 100-win teams in this division. I could be wrong, but I just don't see it looking at this. I would agree with that. Um, but you do have depth, which is something that um, you didn't have in years past. And last year it was a sneaky 
competitive division too. Right. I mean, the, you know, we expected the Nats to run away with the division last year, and obviously they didn't. But it was it was highly competitive, at least among the top three teams. You know, the Phillies fell off late, but still, those three were battling it out for a while. Yeah, and it was kind of like a situation with the Yankees a couple years ago, where the Phillies and the Braves almost arrived a year earlier than expected. Like this was yeah. the year that we expected the Phillies and Braves to really compete, right, and make this division. But it was last year, obviously, the Braves winning the division and the Nats and Phillies falling just short. Um, but yeah, let's roll through it real quick and, um, talk about, and then, so we'll start with all the other four teams other than the nationals. And then at the end, we'll, we'll discuss the nationals real quickly because I feel like, you know, all we talk about is nationals. Yeah, podcast. we can, and we can save some of that stuff for later. Right. And, well. and, um, you know, our, hopefully our listeners have a good understanding based on what we talked about, about how the, where the nationals currently stand, but we want to get into the rest of the division. So let's start with the defending division champion, Atlanta Braves. Uh, major subtractions this season. Obviously, they lost Kurt Suzuki and Anibal Sanchez, now both with the Nationals. Um, they lost relief pitcher Brad Brock, who came over in that trade with the um, one of their trades with the yep. Orioles last year, and first baseman Lucas Duda. They added third baseman, infielder, whatever you want to call him, Josh Donaldson, and they re-signed Nick Markakis, who was due to become a free agent. They re-signed him to a deal, a one-year deal, I believe, with an option for a second, and catcher Brian McCann. So some big names there, subtractions and additions on both sides. Um, we talked about, and we also heard Bo Porter talk about, because Bo Porter caught up with Kurt Suzuki and Anibal Sanchez for Mass and All Access down in West Palm Beach. Yep. And one thing he kept referencing, you know, it's addition by subtraction. The Nationals added by also taking away from a division rival, not to mention the division champion. So to me, I think the Braves, let's, let's, let's evaluate these teams based on a better, neutral, or worse. Right. Better, about the same, or worse. To me, I think they are about the same, if not got worse, only because two of those top guys went to a division rival. Right, exactly. Uh, and I think it's one of those where they were, they're hoping on internal growth. They're expecting the, the Ronald Acunas, the Ozzie Albies, these guys who are still in their young 20s to improve and to get better. That's just that. Not all progress is linear. That's right. the only thing. So, like, yes, you expect these guys to get better over the course of their careers, but they might not take up take a step up this coming year. Um, to me, I I get Josh Donaldson the fact that he you know when he was at his best he was an MVP. To me, it's I put him in the same category as like Troy Tulowitzki, which is like, what have you done for me lately? Right. Like until you prove that you're fully healthy and really good. I know he had a good second half of the year, and he you know, did it with a playoff team, but he, I don't know. I don't know if you can count on him to be a huge boost immediately. Um, but still, I think this Braves team is very deep. Um, obviously, they have still a young core. You know, We're including Nick Marcakis as an addition, but obviously he was re-signed, so you know, they, they had him last year. Um, and I think to go to the Kurt Suzuki addition by subtraction, you look at... I mean, they, they and signed Sanchez. and Sanchez, you signed Brian McCann to, re to replace Suzuki. That's a downgrade in my opinion. I mean, McCann hasn't been highly productive in several years. Yep. Um, he really struggled with the Astros these past couple of years. So I think that's a downgrade, a catcher everywhere else pretty much is the same besides third base with Josh Donaldson. So is it an improvement? And they get Kevin Gosman for the full, full year. And we saw how good he could be in the second half of last year. I think they'll be right about where they were last year. Yeah. I think that they really, I mean, every step up, they took a step back, I think. So I, I don't see a huge change from them 
um, this year. But who knows? Pakoda projections, which I don't could not even tell you what Pakoda stands for. I was just asking somebody that the other day. Oh, that's a question for Steve Molesky that or is. Byron Kerr. Yeah, uh, Pakoda I would uh, has them at eighty five wins, which is fewer than they had last year, and fourth in the division, which is kind of surprising to me. But Bobby, I see the team is pretty pretty much the same as last year, right? Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I that's I think that's why. I th- I say the only reason they may have gotten worse is because their two top guys that left the team went to division rivals. So it's like kind of along that line of thinking, right. addition by subtraction. Um, I think, yeah, it's weird saying it's weird seeing a division champion projected to finish fourth. And obviously, we're going to touch on the rest of the teams, but you know, among the what four competitors we're saying in this division, mm-hmm. they did the least this offseason. Yeah, so by we, far, we and and you're right. They're they're banking on growth internally. All these young, I mean, they, they had one of the youngest teams in all of baseball last year, and they played well. They have the reigning uh, NL Rookie of the Year. They're banking on these young guys to continue their progression as individual players to help the team overall, and you know that's. That's a good way to build a franchise and, and yeah. a winning club. Obviously, that's a pro, that's a projection that that's proven to work, or a, a, sorry, a um, a style of strategy. Strategy. Yeah. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> a strategy to building your a winning ball club. It's been proven to work. Um, but you, when you see the other teams in the division, like the Nationals or the Mets and the Phillies, adding adding big names too, um, and and you kind of just stand pat and and right. bank on. Not just proven, not proven veterans, but youngsters, young yeah. guys who ha- who have you know proven for one season, maybe one and a half slash two. So I, I just think it's it's a tough it's a tough ask to have yeah. these guys do it again this year. I'm sure they'll get better, and and their future is probably bright still. But for this 2019 season, it seemed like the other teams are, are projected to do a little better because of they're a little more aggressive, right? This offseason, and that team last year went 90 and 72. I don't think 90 wins is going to get you a division title this year. Yeah. I don't think that does it for you this year. Yeah. You know, I think that because of those improved teams, um, that's going to be a, a whole lot harder. And some of the numbers from last year, I mean, Freddie Freeman dominated last year. Yes, he does. He's 28, so, you know, he, he still has a few years, uh, at least productive years. But Markakis had an all-star year, kind of out of nowhere from him. Can he repeat that kind of production, or was that just kind of a one-year wonder style thing for him? So they are banking on a lot of the things that went right last year going right again. Yeah. And then also think about the, like Kevin Gosman, like you said, great second half, but that, yeah. you know, we cover the Orioles too. We've seen him his entire career thus far. He's that kind of player. He doesn't have hot starts. Yeah. He, he's a second half kind of pitcher. So can they afford to have him be a, a, a solid piece in their rotation and not get the production during the first half of the season and still be in it down the stretch? And have him contribute and, and win ball games, or can he become the pitcher that he was supposed to be in Baltimore, where he's just the complete overall package and can do, go wire to wire and, yeah. and be and be productive? And they still have some good young pitchers as well to round out that rotation. Rotation Fultonavich was outstanding for them last year. They have Julio Tehran, they have Sean Newcomb. All those guys are 27, 28 years old and younger. Um, so they still have a lot of growth there as well. One name I will say, who also the underrated name that came over in that Kevin Gossman deal was Darren O'Day in the bullpen. He had hamstring surgery. He missed 
the second half of last season for the Orioles, and they kind of got him as a, a salary dump or a throw-in yeah. in that Kevin Gosman deal. He might help round out that bullpen because, as we know, Brian Snicker likes to use that bullpen yeah. in curious and creative ways. So they added a little bit of a piece there that – you know, they technically didn't add this offseason, but he's coming back from injury. And that's, but that's also another piece that he's he's on the older side and he's coming off a serious injury where he hasn't pitched in almost a calendar year yeah. or, and hasn't pitched up to his usual standards in, what, two-plus years now? Right. So that's a, that's a kind of another gamble that the Braves are taking in as a solid piece in their bullpen. Can Darren O'Day be the Darren O'Day of 2015 and 2016 that he was in Baltimore? Yeah, exactly. And one more thing before we move on from the Braves. Freddie Freeman played all 162 last year. Nick Markakis played all 162 last year. Ender Inciarte played 156. Ozzie Albies played 158. All of these guys, most of these guys, were very healthy for the bulk of the year. And they, they, I think, got pretty lucky in terms of health last year. Can they stay that way again this year? So a lot of the things that broke right for them, will they break right well, again? That's that, yeah, you need that in baseball and yeah. any sport and, so oh, to, yeah. to win. We but, saw the Nats getting hurt by right. injuries. Yeah, yeah and they, they got demolished by injuries. So, yeah, that's a good point, too. Can they can they keep that trend of be getting lucky and staying healthy and, yeah. and fielding a competitive team day in and day out from late March to the beginning of October? Right. Um, all right, next team up. Let's head down, or I guess for us, up 95 to Philadelphia. Uh, Obviously, we just touched on their major addition, Bryce Harper, who we'll be talking about as a division rival for the next 13 years. Um, But some other additions. They obviously added shortstop Gene Segura in that huge three-team trade. Um, They also traded for JT Realmuto from the Marlins, another um, individual rival. Uh, They added right fielder Andrew McCutcheon, uh, Dave Robinson, and... Um, James Pezos to their bullpen. Some big names there, obviously, Paul. But subtraction-wise, they lose Wilson Ramos at catcher, Asdrubal Cabrera, Jose Bautista. Some of these guys didn't really contribute yeah. as much, like, like, like a Bautista, but Ramos came over and, and had a good start with the Phillies. Cabrera has been a solid infielder for them for, for, for a while, uh, for last year, sorry. And then uh, Carlos Santana and Jorge Alfaro was the catcher also involved in that trade with right. uh, the Marlins. So some big names across the board for the Phillies. The Phillies, uh, you know, with them and the – I mean, <laughs> the Mets did a lot this year. But the Phillies probably next did the next most in, I, um, in, in, in terms of the offseason and, and adding and, and making moves and trying to improve their ball club. They kind of seem to be – not. I don't want to say all in for 2019, but all in for now and the future. Like they – prepare this team to be a competitive playoff team in 2019, 20, you know, down the yeah. line, because that's that's where they are in the rebuild right now. And I would say the Phillies actually did more than the Mets, I think, because in terms of you look at the quality of talent that they added, you know, Harper obviously was a, an all-star last year, whether he deserved it or not is <laughs> up for debate. But anyway, Gene Segura has been an all-star. He was an all-star last year. JT Realmuto has been an all-star before. McCutcheon obviously has won an MVP all these guys are quality, and then the guys that went out the door really did not perform for them last year. As Drupal Cabrera struggled down the stretch after they got him at the deadline, Bautista was downright awful for them down the stretch. All these kind of short-term uh, fill-ins were bad, and you know they're not. Last year they went into last year relying on uh, J.P. Crawford uh, to come back, and he had two fourteen for them last year. They were relying on uh, Scott Kingery, who had a horrible rookie year. So. They're not. They're they replaced the young, promising guys with actual talented all stars. Yeah. Um. I will say though, the biggest, perhaps the biggest issue besides scoring runs for them last year, they obviously struggled at the plate and their pitching kind of got them through. Was defense? 
huge, huge concern for them last year was defense. Uh, they were maybe, by some metrics, the worst defensive team in all of baseball. I look at that, the additions that they got, they improved a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, you know, they, they made some smart moves in terms of them trading Carlos Santana, allows Reese Hoskins. He was terrible in the outfield last year. He moves back to first. That'll help their team defense there in the outfield. And they were, but they were placing with McCutcheon. Is McCutcheon still a solid defensive outfielder? Right. You know, um, at he's his age. with, yeah, at his age with his mileage. Uh, Segura is a, a solid shortstop, but Harper, as we know, was one of the worst defensive players in the outfield last year. Yeah. Is that, was that because he didn't want to get hurt and he wanted to get his cash in and off the offseason, or is he just not a good defensive outfielder anymore? So, Defense, I think, is still going to be a question, but I think no question they improved across the board. Also, yeah, and defensively, they, 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 you can say they improved that catcher. J.T. Romuto is one of the best defensive catchers in the game. Yes, true. And offensively, um, that makes him one of the best overall, if not the best overall catcher in the game. So that's, that's I mean, I just look at the the names, Romuto, Harper, Segura, and McCutcheon, and Robertson in the bullpen. Yeah. Those are huge additions that make this team kind of a juggernaut. And and obviously added to the town they already had in on Hoskins and Herrera Herrera yeah. and um uh and Arietta and the starting uh Enola. They extended yeah. Enola this offseason. So this team is stacked in the sense that they're ready to win now and for the future. Um they're projected to finish first or at least tie for first with the Nationals with eighty nine wins right. apiece. Um but whatever tiebreaker that Pakota has, they have the Phillies up at first. Um, are the Phillies right now the favorite in the NL East? Uh, does Bryce Harper and co. make them the favorites coming into the season? I think 89 wins by Pakota is a fair projection. I agree. I, I Pakota has no one in the NL East above 90 yeah. wins, which, which I agree with you that I think 90 wins plus is going to win the division. I right. Think no one's going to win a division under 90 wins. Uh, yeah, I think, and I don't think 90 does it. I think it's, I think it has to be like 95, honestly. Yeah. And that's because the division is so deep. But then you could look at it the other way and say, all right, all these teams play each other 19 times yeah, a year. Beat up on each They're going to beat up on each other, and their records will all take a hit because of that. You know, like playing the Mets this year is not going to be an easy out like it was last year, and right. playing the Phillies and stuff like that. So um, that might decrease the overall win percentage of each t- individual team. Yeah, um, I think 89 wins for the Phillies is a, a pretty accurate projection. I think they're better than they were last year. They had, what, 80? They finished 80 and 82 last year, two games below yep. 500. Yep. So in, in addition, you look at those all those guys, about nine wins is, is fair. I just don't think that's enough to win the division. I wouldn't put them in first place right now. Yeah, again, for me, it's it's... Uh, I mean, we just talked about how much the Braves didn't add compared to these other three teams in, in the East, excluding the Marlins. Um, but again, for me, it's hard to not have the reigning champion as the favorites. Like, I, I don't know, I'm just that mindset where you right. have to beat the, the defending champ to, to become the favorites. It's going into the season, the Braves are going to be the favorite, but, you know, give it a month, and it could easily be the Phillies, Nationals, maybe still the Braves, whoever, right. you know. So, you know... On opening day, it's going to be the Braves for me, but going into it, I mean, the Phillies, I think the Phillies head-to-head, and don't the Phillies open with the Braves this season? I think they do, That's an interesting series right off the bat um, in Philadelphia, too. Yeah. So, you know, if the Phillies go out and just beat the pulp out of the Braves right out of the gate, it's going to be a message not only to the defending champions, but to the rest of the division and all of baseball. Hey, we're here. We're here to win this year. We're a competitor. We're gonna we're gonna run this division. Although you know it is a long season. So it is a long I remember season. the Nats yeah, started at what happen. four and zero last year. And yeah, yeah, they swept the yeah. Reds, and you know obviously things can happen. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I would be looking 
there's got to be so much excitement in Clearwater right now and in Philadelphia with with the Phyllis Phillies camp. Obviously, they had a huge offseason. Phillies fans, which, Paul, you can attest, are probably been begging for something like this for oh, years yeah. now. Um, they're, this has got to be the most competitive team that they're going to field since 2008, 2009, almost 10 years right. back when those World Series uh, years. So um, high, high expectations in Philadelphia. Not the easiest town to have high expectations in, but I bet you this team is excited and ready. And they're probably licking their chops at they get to face the Braves and the Nationals right out the gate right. Um, to start the regular season. And one more thing I will say about the Phillies is, you know, their their lineup top to bottom is 10 times better than it was last year. I mean, the, the, they might have, you know, one through four in the lineup might be all new faces in terms of Segura and McCutcheon and Harper and Rio Muto. If they go with those four to, at the top of the lineup, that's yeah. a lot better. But like defense... Pitching, I, I think they, they really didn't touch this year. Yeah. Um, and that might be an issue for them. They're relying on some of the guys to to improve, like Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez and Zach Eflin. So those guys, they're hoping, will get better. They really didn't touch the rotation beyond that. They added to their bullpen and gave, getting Dave Robertson. But, you know, Aaron Nolan, Jake Arrieta, that's a, still a strong one-two punch. But can the rest of those guys, three, four, five, Fill out that rotation. Yeah, and you look at rotations in New York and Washington, those are heavy hitters exactly. right there. So can they go toe-to-toe with them day in and day out 19 times over the course of the season? That's right. going to be a big question for Philly. I think I have them uh, uh, right. I, I agree with, like, the Pakota and your projection, like right around 89, 90. Yeah. But I, I agree. I don't think that's enough to actually win the division. Because right. I think it's going to take a little more than that to, to win the East. All right, let's go a little further up east, up the East Coast, and to Queens. And those New York Metropolitans, <laughs> um, again, they added and subtracted a lot. They had a busy offseason. You know, as a Mets fan, I don't know if you're excited or just like, here we go again kind of thing. Um, additions, big name, Robinson Cano. They added Edwin Diaz. Juris Familia comes back, signing as a free agent after a year with uh, Oakland. Keon Brock, Broxton comes back um, or is coming to uh, New York. Uh, Wilson Ramos joins another NL East team. <laughs> Uh, as their catcher, um, and then they got some interesting guys in the minor leagues signing on minor league deals. Danny Espinosa, former National, mm-hmm. Danny Hechevarria, Carlos Gomez, um, and then subtraction: Jose Reyes, AJ Ramos, Jose Lobatone, Jerry Blevins, a, a good left-hander out of their bullpen. DJ Rivera, which was a surprising release, I think, over in the past in the, in, in the last week. Um, and Wilmer Flores, who has been a, an in, a utility infielder for them for the past couple of seasons. Um, again, so many moves. Yeah. Um, Robinson Cano obviously had that suspension. Hasn't you know his playing has been so so for the past couple of years for the little amount he has been playing. Um, but I think Familia back in the bullpen solidifies a, a strong bullpen and a pitching staff. We know about their starting pitchers. Um, Eighty five wins is their projection. Third in the NL East. Um, that seems high. Let's see. They finished so seventy seven last year. So that's an eight win bu- boost. Yeah. From season to season, so we're asking Phillies to get nine and and Mets to get eight wins, right? Please. And and those are the two teams that did the most moves. I expect them to be more competitive, yeah. But I always fall back to Paul: the Mets are going to Mets. You know, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're you know can Cespedes stay healthy? Doubtful. Can these guys oh, no. that they just yeah. signed stay healthy? Healthy for a full season? Doubtful. You know, something always seems to go wrong with that team, um, except for twenty fifteen. And I, I just expect them to, you know, they'll be competitive at times, but other times they're just going to be subpar and, and and almost bleh. Yeah. You know? another just another team. Right. And, you know, I, th- I look at what Brody Van Wagenen did, and 
I guess you could say kudos for like making moves and improving the team, but we talked into, you know, going into this offseason about should the Mets blow it up? You know, yeah. that's, they, I just don't think it, it's a, a huge issue to kind of like add to a flawed core, especially by adding a whole lot of money when you take on the Robinson Cano contract and everything. Like, do they have enough in house so that, because a lot of these moves, in a vacuum, makes sense. You you improve your team by getting Robinson Cano, by getting Edwin Diaz, by getting these guys. But do they have enough in-house already that you can build on to say, look at that 77-win team last year and say, okay, we just need these few pieces to make right. them, to push us over the top. I don't think they, they did have a good enough core last year. Obviously, they still have very talented players. They have the reigning Cy Young winner. They have a still, if they're healthy, a great one through four in the rotation. But is that enough to build on? And, you know, can you rely on these guys, as you mentioned, to stay healthy? On their face, I like a lot of these moves. I just don't think it's enough um, to get them over to hump and to stop them from being just another team. Right, and a lot of these guys that they did add are older guys. Cano, Diaz, Familia, I mean, Ramos, they're all, Justin Wilson, they're all on the older side of their careers. You know, how much can so many veterans actually contribute and, and be product and be a winning even Jed Lowry yeah yeah and they're just older you know yes they're by themselves you know great players and great careers but how much left do they have in the tank and you mentioned yes they have the formal Cy Young one of their pitching staff with started with DeGrom and Syndergaard are, are loaded is loaded but in 32 starts you know DeGrom went 10 and 9 last year I mean and Right, that speaks. Yeah, that speaks to. I don't the, have the, the team. <laughs> right, I don't have the team's record in his starts, but you know that's great if he can go out and pitch to an ERA below two, and uh, you know a one seventy ERA and, and strike out two hundred or two hundred fifty, however many it may be. Right, but if you're not winning ball games, what does it matter? Exactly. So, can, are they? Can those two monsters ahead of their staff and this in this reloaded bullpen carry this team? Pitching wins usually, but. Bad, but you know, there's good pitchers in other teams too. Can they go toe to toe and keep them in ball games all the time? And that core of hitters, the the Mets as a whole, ranked last in the National League in terms of batting average, right there with the Phillies at like two thirty four as a team. So yeah. obviously the rotation is stacked, but I I just didn't see a good enough core of hitters to build upon. Michael Conforto has shown flashes, but. You know, is he going to be a 30 home run hitter enough every year so that he can, you know, justify his low batting average? There are other guys in this that that don't, you know, like Brandon Nimmo, they're relying on. These guys just don't get on base enough, in my opinion. They don't show enough um, to be able to, you know, drive in runs. And you're relying on Robinson Cano to come in and be the center of that of that lineup. And he has been great. I mean, as even though he is 35, he has still been awesome for Seattle. You know, that has kind of flown under the radar is he's still hitting tons and tons of homers every year, like 30-plus homers a year. Obviously, he missed the second half of last year with a suspension, but with Seattle, he was he was playing in at least 150 games per year. He was hitting 300 with that team. He was hitting, he hit 39 homers a couple years ago. He still is an outstanding hitter, but he's going to be the centerpiece of that of that lineup, and I just don't, see anybody else stepping up in a huge way to be that one-two punch. And in this division, you're going to need guys that can get on base and drive in runs against Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, Aaron Nola, all these stellar stars and studs in that rotation. 
in the division. So I, I just don't think the hitting has improved enough. Well, they're they're counting on that to be Cespedes, and, and Cespedes can't stay healthy. Right, exactly. You know, I, I'd be one thing if Cespedes has been healthy for his entire career in New York and blasting 35, 40 homers a season. Right. But he hasn't. Yeah. And every year, once we think that, oh, Cespedes is back, Nope, he goes down another fluke the injury. C- the or, heels that he's, heel, yeah, that's something, a huge you know, issue. Running third, whatever it is. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think Cano by himself can carry this as a, as a single bat. And just because I needed to look it up, you know, back to the pitching, the net, the Mets went 14-18 and 18 in DeGrom's 32 starts last year. So that's mm-hmm. well below 500. That's four games below 500. And they went 16-9 and nine in, in Syndergaard's 30, 25 starts. Right. So, you know, it's great that you have pitching, but you're not winning – a majority of those games, like you should be, like, and, and the Nats to an extent had a, a similar issue with Max Scherzer. We saw Max Scherzer pitch so many great games, but then the Nats didn't always win. So, do the Mets have a full lineup where they can go out, count on their starting pitch, and count on this bullpen to keep the other team off the board, but also count on their offense to put runs on the board for themselves? Exactly. And like you said, Bobby, a lot of these guys are older. Like, Jed Lowry had an all-star year last year, and he hit over 20 home runs. He had never had 20 home runs in a season before. Can he repeat that production? Wilson Ramos, we all saw what he can do in Washington, but is a catcher going to be the centerpiece of your lineup? Yeah. You know, like, is can he be your three-hitter, your five-hitter? So I just, I see... And how a, does he contribute defensively? Right, exactly. And, like, Jeff McNeil was awesome for them last year, but didn't play in that many games, and he's 27, so, like, it's taken him a while for him to get to this place. So, I don't know. I just have, I still have major concerns when it comes to the Mets. And part of that is bias. Part of that is just, they, we've seen them do this, not every year, but we've seen them make splashes in the offseason that don't end up turning out. Uh, a lot of years in a row, it feels like. So, I don't know. I, I Kudos to Brody Van Wagenen, but I just, in my mind, I just expect them to, to falter. Yeah, and uh, I want to correct myself because I believe I had looked at the wrong projection. They are projected to win 88 games by Pakoda. That, that would be an 11-game improvement over last year when they won 77. So, that's a huge jump. That's bigger than, I think I would said, eight earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, by mistake. So, 88 wins versus 77 last year. 11-win difference. That, to me, is way too high. I think they can maybe break 80, but maybe get to their 85 range. But 88 seems like a bit much for me. Because, again, I just expect this team to falter at some point and, and kind of collapse in on itself. Yeah. Especially I'd, a first-year manager, too. Like, it's, it's going to be tough for the Mets to, to get that high above 500. Exactly. And I, I don't see them finishing above the Braves, which is what they have projected at this point. Yeah, I agree. I just don't see that happening. Maybe the, uh, Look, I don't think – I'm not necessarily saying the Braves are going to win the division – I just don't think on paper right now the Mets are a better team than the Braves. Also not saying that the Mets are going to have a terrible season. I, right. I think they can still be competitive they for the most part. They can still be above part, 500. But, you know, I would expect this team to kind of fuse out, flame out at the end right. of mid-August, you know, and, and not be really be in it entering September. Yeah. All right. Do we need to say anything about the Marlins? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, we have notes. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go through the Marlins. I mean, let's just, I mean, obviously the JTO Remuto trade, uh, Derek Dietrich, is left the team, but you know there are some names that they added. Um, a lot of these guys are minor league guys. Uh, looking through their transaction pages, I mean, it was just a bunch of minor league guys, Paul. So I just yeah. wrote down the names that kind of stuck out. That our oh, listeners they're not going to be. Yeah, they're not going to recognize. They the added names, even Alfaro if we throw them that we mentioned earlier from the from the Phillies and uh, the Sergio Romo in in the bullpen and second baseman Neil Walker, a former Met, uh, and then they also signed Curtis Granderson. Uh, Pedro Alvarez and Sixto Sanchez to minor league deals, and of course they, well, they got Sixto Sanchez in the Alfaro trade. In the Alfaro, okay, yeah. So, but he's so he's a minor league player yeah. added to the minors, and then of course they got the two big 
Cuban outfielders, Victor Victor Mesa and Victor Mesa Jr. at yeah. the big international signing of the season. So they're possibly loaded for the future. Um, I, I think Pakoda has them projected to 67 wins versus their five-win difference. <laughs> that Good. Good for them. I, yeah. I, I think the Marlins will be quote-unquote better than last year. You know, I'm not saying they're going to be competitive and, and push any of these teams in this division um, at all, but I, th- I think they can get a higher win total than last year. Uh, definitely. I, to me, I just, I, I don't see, with a lot of these tanking teams, like I look at the Orioles even, like these teams that have a plan, I just didn't, I don't, I don't quite see it when it comes to the Marlins. And maybe it's because they didn't get a whole lot of talent back when they made those monster trades last year when they, you know, traded away Christian Yelich and, this year, this offseason, they traded away JT Realmuto, and you get back Sixto Sanchez as one of the top prospects. But I just don't see enough enough depth in that farm system, enough guys that I can point to and say, okay, he's going to be a stud. This guy's going to be a regular major leaguer. We'll see him this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, what they, what they do on the field this year is obviously secondary. It's what would we see in the minor leagues and um, the few guys that do get to, you know, the young guys that do get to see the field this year, how they do. Uh, I just don't see a plan to as well as you know you you look at the a lot of the other teams that are um, throwing away games and you see a plan. I just don't quite see it when it comes looks to the Marlins. Yeah, I mean, I feel like their front office and ownership. I mean, definitely their ownership have been in kind of a weird place. Yeah. Like yeah. It's complicated. Like <laughs> yeah. their relationship status, it'd be it's complicated. They don't really know what they're trying to do. Obviously, their goal long term is to start winning, but. Is that a realistic – are they going about it the right way, like you said? Right. Um, the only thing I would be keeping an eye on, and just because we followed him over this offseason, would be if Victor Victor Mesa somehow breaks through into the majors this year. I believe he's 21 years old. So that's not that far out of possibility, but he hasn't played in the United States. Right. Minor league system baseball. So, um, you know, if when you watch Nationals-Marlins game this season, you're going to hear a lot of names you're not going to know, and you might not even bother list- learning because they probably won't – be playing for this team down the line or anywhere down the line because there it is kind of just a, a mesh of guys who are worn out at the tail ends of their career and young guys that they are may or may not be committed to for the long term. So the Marlins, I agree, are just kind of in flux right now, and, and you know it's gonna be hard to watch some of those games just because it's gonna be like such a disparity in the talent level when they're facing the other four teams of the division. Exactly, and. Even the returns from those deals like have not been great. Like we saw, Starlin Castro is one of those big pieces in the Giancarlo Stanton trade come back, but he's not going to be probably not going to be on this team when they're competitive again. He's twenty eight, twenty nine years old, um, and then the other piece, Lewis Brinson, that they got back from the the Brewers, who was the centerpiece of that Christian Yelich trade. He was terrible last year; had a really bad rookie year for them. So, yeah, um, it's it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while, and they will be the punching bag of the NL East. Yep, and uh, let's see, 67. They are, well, they're not projected to win the fewest amount of games, so hopefully, you know, if you're a Marlins fan, there is some life shown yeah. in Miami, and, and they can p- possibly beat that 63-win total from last year and, and show some form of progress. But, right, they are a ways away and going through this whole rebuild process. All right, let's wrap this up, Paul. Let me get your... Projected finish um, for the NL East, bottom to top. Let's go bottom to top. Five oh to boy! One. All right. Uh, I believe we both have the same number five, which would be the Marlins. Yep. Uh, yep. So give me your top four, four to one. 
rank them upwards. How the <laughs> how they will finish. All right, I'm gonna go and uh, include playoff. Is you know yeah any wild cards if you if there if there are any recency bias. 2018 being a factor. I'm gonna go Marlins as the fifth team in that division. I'm gonna go the Mets as the fourth. I don't see them as a better team than the Phillies, Nats, or Braves. I'm gonna go with the Phillies as the third team in that division. I think they just miss out on the playoffs. I think there are a lot of good middling teams in the National League that are going to hop them. I think the NL Central and NL West will be better, so maybe the Cubs or Brewers or somebody is going to hop them. They win maybe 89 games, so I have the Phillies as third. I got the Braves as the second best team in the division. Okay. And, uh, yeah, a little homerism here. I'm going to go with the Washington Nationals as the number one team in the division. All right. I say the Nats win 94-ish games. I think they take the division. I think they're a better team than they were last year. I think they're going to be healthier. And I think the the uh, Braves, while they still do all have the young good pieces and they'll be just about as good as they were last year, that division is going to be better. 90 games isn't going to get it to them, isn't going to give them the division. So I got Nats as the division winner. I think maybe the Braves can slip into the wild card with 91, 92 wins. Uh, and then I got the Phillies, the Mets, and the Marlins in that order. All right. Bobby, okay. what do you have? Uh, I'm close. Close to what you have. Marlins. Obviously, last I'm gonna go Mets fourth. Yep, two, uh, but I'm gonna go Braves third. I think okay. a big drop off from from the division winners. Again, they won the division with what ninety? Yeah, ninety wins. I don't see them reaching ninety wins. I don't think ninety wins gets them right anywhere close to the division. Nonetheless, a playoff spot. I, I'm gonna go Phillies number two. I think that team is is. I think it's gonna be when it comes down to it, it's gonna be a Phillies Nationals race. And I think the Nationals edged them out. Because of pitching. Yeah. And, and the only rotation to me in this division that can stack up to the Nationals pitching staff is the Mets, and the Mets don't have the bats that the Nationals have. So the, I, I, the Mets are, are irrelevant when it comes to that. So I think pitching down the stretch, those starters, Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Sanchez, Yeah, I think those guys provide enough wins and, and shut down that Phillies lineup down the stretch and are able to pull away 95 wins for the nationals. I'm going to go 95. Okay. I'm going to say the Phillies though, do have a great season. They're going to finish about, I'm going to go 90 between 90, and 92. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to place them. Who do I want them to hosting the wildcard game or the number two? Wildcard game? <laughs> this stuff is getting, who knows, but I know yeah. I, that's why it's yeah. fun. It's March 12th. Yeah. Know? We have all season to, to look at this and we can go back and look at these projections or predict predictions. Um, I'm going to say the Phillies, they're definitely in the, I'm going to say they make the wild card. Okay. I think that would be, I think that's definitely a possibility for them and It'd be a disappointment looking, feel like if they didn't. Right. And I'm th- looking through the rest of the national league. I'm looking, uh, St. Louis or St. Louis or, is a lot better. Or Colorado. You got Goldschmidt. Um, you got an actually good manager there. Yeah. Uh, do I want? To, I'm going to say the Phillies are the road team in the wild card game. Okay. I'm going to say uh, either the Cardinals or the Rockies are the hosts. Fair. Um, and Rockies also post partly because they play at Coors Field, so they can throw up runs right. all the time, and that helps inflate their winning total. Um, the Cardinals are very good. So, but the Phillies will be there. Um, they're they're going to be here. I think. The, the top three teams, the Mets, like I said, they'll be competitive at times, but they'll, they'll tail off. I think the same thing with the Braves, just at a later date, it's going to be a Philly-DC race for the division with the Nats eking it out uh, at the end. Yeah, I think it'll be. And the other thing that we obviously can't take into account yet is how these teams will improve in the division. I mean, we're, or, sorry, at the trade deadline, rather, right. how they're going to be after July 31st. Also injuries. Also injuries, obviously. Yeah, but, so, you know. You know. God forbid, you know, I talked about the rotation. 
can Strasburg actually pitch for an entire season and be productive? Can Corbin? Know? Can Corbin? Yeah. So, you know, I say the Nats have the best rotation, but well, that's only if they can stay healthy and, and get those right. innings in day in and day out every fifth day. And the, the Nationals, we all know that they finished just above 500 last year, but, you know, would they have been better if they had actually gone for it at the deadline, if they had added pieces right. like the Phillies did, yeah. um, like the Braves did? So um, it's going to be interesting. going to be a more exciting. I'm, I'm really honestly excited for this NL East race. I think it's going to oh, be I am too. probably the best race. I think the NL Central is going to be really good. I think this is going to be the best division race in baseball. I do too. Because, I, I, again, I mean, we looked at the, we talked about the American League. Again, the East is Yankees, Red Sox. The Rays might squeak in there, but I mean. Probably not. Like yeah. last year, they'll, <laughs> yeah, they'll finish. I mean, they're going to be good. Yeah. But they're not going to be as good. I mean, those two teams are just stacked. AL the Central, bad. the Indians, that's a, that's a runaway. Terrible division. The West, Astros, same thing. I, I, I don't see anyone no. else in that division giving them any trouble. Um, and the Central, I think that's going to be a very competitive team. Uh, sorry, division. Bakota has the Cubs finishing last. Oh, for the Yeah. They the, literally put the that NL on their Central. bulletin board. Yeah. As bulletin board. I mean, here. that's just insane to me. Yeah. This is a team that has... Great players across the board, and it's only three years removed from winning a World Series. Yeah. Um, no, no way the pi- they finish below the Pirates. Right. In that and I think the West, it could be Dodgers, Rockies. I think the D-backs are going to tail off. Uh, they're not going to be as good as we've seen them in the past couple of years, and I think it's going to be Dodgers, Rockies. So, yeah, the NL East. And, and, and you know what's more exciting, Paul? You know, we're both fans of these NL, of two of these NL East teams yeah. and, and have covered the Nationals for the past couple of seasons. This is going to be the first time that I can remember – that this is going to be a competitive race, or yeah. should be a competitive race. You know, going into each season, we've always been like, it's the Nationals year this year, it's the Braves this year, yeah. it's the Met. You know, this year it's like it's a toss up. Yeah. You know, what we said, you know, I, I I do think those top three teams are going to finish, but it could be flipped. You know, you know the Braves could finish on top, Phillies exactly. Nets, or sorry, Phillies Nats. It could be Braves. You know, it's it's the most competitive this division has ever been since the Nats have entered it, and I'm looking forward to it. Pakoda is not God, but it is. it does have the NL East as the only division with a tie for the top spot in that division yeah. between uh, the Phillies and the Nationals. And then the Mets are only, they only have, the Mets only one have game one back. game off. I mean, you look at the, the, like we were talking about, the AL West, it, it has the Astros winning that division by 18 games. <laughs> yeah. That's as a, I, I, you know, that might be true, but as a predictive yeah. thing, that's the, just hilarious. And then the Central, they have the Indians winning by 14. Exactly. That's that's just funny at this point. Also, they have the Red Sox winning 90 games. No, that's going to be more. Yeah. you think? Yeah, yeah. There's I no way they win just the 90 games. I think the Yankees Red Sox each get closer to 100. I think, it, well, obviously predictive services, like, they don't, they try, you know, they don't go too high or too low. So yeah. there's, there's no, like, team that they have winning 100, but I think both the Red Sox and Yankees. Orioles fans will never forget the, all those years that Pakota predicted the Orioles True. to win 60 games, and they ended up winning 90 and winning the division. So, True. And, and becoming wildcard teams. So, yeah, but no, Pakota is far from perfect. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is fun to kind of talk about it and see where they have teams landing yeah. and, and compare them to our own notes. You know what we should do, Bobby, on our next Nationals podcast? We should look at this current team, this current Nationals team, and go position by position. We spent a first couple podcasts of the year going uh, offseason going position by position, seeing what they needed to improve upon. Let's go back and let's say, what have they improved on? What have they not improved on? Uh, you know, Are they better at each individual position than they were last year? Better, same, or worse. Yeah, let's do it. Um, there's a lot of changes. I'm pretending like I just came up with that idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we just talked about the four other teams <laughs> and you know how much change came to Philly and New York. And the Nationals arguably made the most. And they were definitely the most yeah. active team this offseason. You know, they were not waiting around for Bryce Harper. They went and made moves and right. improved their team. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting going through those moves in each position to see how they've improved and, and can they 
you know, sustain that? And, and is were they worth making and to make yeah. this team back into a competitor and a playoff contender? All right, that just about does it. At Bobby underscore Blanco is Bobby's. At Paul Mancano is Paul's. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play. Check out the Mass and All Access podcast and spread the word. We'll see you next time.